Welcome back, folks, to the Get a Grip on Lighting podcast. On today's show, we have Sandra Vasquez. Uh, big long uh, bio here um, is a senior instructor in civil, environmental, and architectural engineering at the University of Colorado Boulder. She teaches lighting courses with an emphasis on lighting application and design to architectural engineering and environmental design students. Sandra has been at the helm of the lighting program of, at CU for 14 years, is the director of the Architectural Lighting Certificate for Lighting Professionals, co-creator and co-director of the Rocky Mountain Lighting Academy, manager of the Lighting Design Certificate offered to non-engineering students, and faculty co-advisor of the CU Boulder IES student chapter. Master of Science in, Science in, uh, Masters of Science in Lighting from the Lighting Research Center at Rensselaer Poly Polytechnic Institute. She worked at the LRC as adjunct faculty, teaching graduate level lighting courses and working as program manager. And she has a master's of arts degree from the University of Denver in art history and museum studies. Hmm. Besides her work and interest in lighting, she also worked in museum exhibition design, Greg Eric. But before we talk to Sandra, I think we gotta get a little focused here, buddy. We gotta go to the focus original. In. Focus in on the original energyfocus.com. That's E-N-E-R-G-Y-F-O-C-U-S dot com, Greg Eric. Human centric lighting. Let's talk about that for a minute. I don't know if we'll get into it today. We often do, so we'll see. But with N Focus, it puts you in control of lighting the way you want it, and likely without having to change the fixtures. You can reuse your existing linear fluorescent fixture, bypass the ballast, no need for rewiring. Everything's put it built into the tube. Put the tubes in the N Focus. Change the switch on the wall. You have 10-stage dimming, color tuning with a push of a button, no flicker, and it is the lowest cost option for human-centric lighting that I know of for both the install side and product side. Check it out. And right here in Get Grip Studios, I have my in-focus system. Uh, tuning is to 2021 what dimming is to 1969, folks. Tunable is dimmable, everybody. That's the most thing. It, make, it makes so much sense to the customers out there, folks. So go to E-N-E-R-G-Y-F-O-C-U-S, the original, energyfocus.com. Of course, proud members, Greg, of the National Association of Innovative Lighting Distributors. Go to NAILD.org. And I know we're going to talk about lighting education here in a second, but if you want to get educated and you've been in the industry for a long time, why not challenge the LC exam, Greg Eric? Coming up in November, I believe. It's coming up. It's a PhD in lighting. You can go get it right now. Get it done. NCQLP.org, our good friends down there. But for right now, how's it going, Sandra? I'm doing well. Thank you so much for having me. It's our pleasure. Thank Where you. do you want to start? Oh, that's a bad I, I, You know, I just look at all this stuff here. I'm like, holy mackerel. Do you want, like, do you want to talk about technology? Got, oh, you go, Greg. You start that. You start I've got off. a question. I want to know. I've always been curious about this program at the University of Colorado Boulder. I've never been there, full disclosure, but I am curious about it. So you're the co-creator of the Rocky Mountain Lighting Academy. Yes. Mm -hmm. What? When did you, it said, well, 14 years ago. Why did you create it? And give us a background story on that. Okay, so um, let me let me start. The 14 years ago, I actually um, entered the world of educa education at the University of Colorado as a instructor for undergraduate students, undergraduate and graduate okay. students. That is our focus in the lighting program within our department, and so um, that has been our focus for many, many years at the University of Colorado. Uh, but uh, we have also noticed that um, 
not only the students that are coming for a, for a bachelor's degree or master's degree need education. And that's where we thought that maybe we can, with, with all the experience that we have, we could actually provide education to lighting professionals. Uh, the, so the Rocky Mountain Lighting Academy came uh, about in 2012, our very first course. Uh, started in 2013, and our idea was um, to provide lighting education to people already in the industry that needed a really deep dive. So we were counting on the industry to provide the uh, breadth of, of education with light fair, and we know that the manufacturers all, uh, offer lighting education, but um, a lot of that education sometimes is leveling and sometimes is providing what is needed at that point in time. Maybe a new technology is coming into the market. Maybe a new luminaire or controls are coming into the market. So education at where the industry is. And we thought that if we take a step back and not discounting everything that is needed for the task at hand, that we could provide a little bit of foundation, the whys in the house of lighting. And so that was our idea was come immerse yourself in four days, you know, really intense four days, come to campus, come to our laboratory, do some lighting measurements so that you understand where photometry and photometric reports and what that information is telling you. And now you understand why and what those numbers mean. For example, among many other things, we thought that that would be useful for the lighting industry. So we started with a technical course uh, and we were gearing for manufacturers and technical people. Uh, but then we uh, obtained uh, a, a grant from the IES and part of our deliverables was to create a second course in design. So now we were opening our offerings to uh, technical people as well as design. And now we offer this summer course, four days with two tracks. Uh, technical and design. The idea is that the first two days, everybody needs to know the fundamentals, no matter what track you are. And then we divide you into your own areas for the rest of the time. Got so, it. So, so that's the beginning of the RMLA. Okay. So, and then prior to that, the undergraduate, I think I read it started 40 years ago. Is it something like that? Yeah. Yes, and and interesting. If 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 you like history, um, you I I wrote some numbers, and actually we had lighting since uh, the beginning of the electrical engineering department in uh, 1893. Hmm. So interestingly, the College of Engineering was just uh, two departments: civil and electrical. And within electrical. Uh, we had our first photometric laboratory with our first lighting course uh, obligatory for the electrical engineering students in um, 1897. That's amazing. Wow. Um, that is amazing. Oh, yeah. you, you know, at, after mm -hmm. that, there was a, a lull, you know, everybody was focused on something else. And that is where you pick up, you know, 40 years ago with Ron Helms and then David Delora. That's what we truly uh, began teaching lighting beyond just one course. Right now we offer seven courses to our undergraduate and graduate uh, students. And so there has been a, an evolution based on where the industry is. And the fact that lighting design has also become um, 
a true profession, right? A recognized profession. And so these seven courses is, is typically part of someone's undergraduate degree, like a certificate portion or a, who are the students that usually take this? So we are housed in architectural engineering. In architectural okay. engineering, by definition, then has to take uh, into account uh, the different other aspects of, of a building, right? So uh, of a cohort of architectural engineers, students have the ability to focus on mechanical HVAC or structures or electrical or lighting. So out of that full group, we would get a percentage of the students who choose to do lighting. And historically, we've always, um, you know, plus minus 25% uh, of the population come to, to lighting. Okay. And that's, so how many, do you have any idea of the number of students that have gone through these courses? Uh, yeah, it's in the high, okay. uh, yeah, hundreds, you know, 500, okay. uh, 600 students. Um, yeah. Um, so imagine when, when I started in 2007, um, the architectural engineering class was about 90 students and we got 25% of those. Um, okay. With a recession in 2008, uh, there was a, a sh uh, everybody, every university that, that, that offer architectural engineering, we saw a shrinking in our population. And we've gone as low as 30 students. And out of those 30 students, we've had 25, 30% of those. So, you know, sure. it just fluctuates in terms of what the economy is doing, the construction industry is doing, and um, so forth. Yeah. Sure. So in the last five minutes, I've written down like 10 points. I'm trying to decide where to start. <laughs> um, okay, I'll start with this. Um, I have a kind of a strange belief about education, I think all education is history. So when you're studying lighting, you're studying the history of lighting, right? And you're in a way, it's like, this is what we've learned up until now. And when you're looking at manufacturer, when they say education, they're talking about sales training, usually, not always, but most of the time they're talking about, this is why our product creates this effect or that effect. And really what they're talking about is how to sell their products to people. Um, with Nailed, uh, the National Association of Innovative Lighting Distributors, our educational suite is heavily focused on non, not heavily, there's an LED module in it, but it goes through all the different iterations and types of lighting that have been created from the, the, from the candle forward. And, you know, why these things, and oftentimes we'll have members say that, why, do, why are we wasting our time learning this? I think that um, so many mistakes in the LED era have been caused by people not understanding the innovations of the fluorescent era, like the flicker innovation from T12 to T8, and then some of the other things that we've learned along the way. In your programs, do you guys get into the technology types as a part of the lighting? And, uh, you know, CFL, um, flu linear fluorescent, metal halide, HPS, do you guys study those individual technologies, how they worked and how they developed? Yes, yes. Mm. So, so the first introduction to our students to technology is in the second course, Illumination 2. And that's the argument that I make to the students is that um, understand that the world that you're getting into is all about LEDs. But first of all, um, 
I'm going to venture and say, say 80% of old construction is still uh, legacy sources. You're still going to have to work with and understand uh, these sources. So let's not kid ourselves that, that, that students are just going to do new construction. That is never the case. Um, and as you point out, I think it's very important to understand where we came from. Right. So, yes, we dedicate time and perhaps not as when I started 14 years ago. So the amount of time that we dedicate to the, each technology uh, in terms of legacy sources is not the same as as before. Now is less. But I, we do make a point of teaching them how the lamps work, ballasts, um, inefficiencies of those sources, what works with those sources and how is that LED could try to recreate some of the good things of that technology. Not everything was bad, mm -hmm. right? Not everything was bad. And so if, if they are able to understand that, um, that's a win for us. And then in the subsequent courses, for example, optical design, uh, where they are talking again about uh, um, Flickr, then they revisit this idea of, you know, well, how does it happen and, and where it happens and how do you prevent it? And, and, you, and you need to understand the, the background of that in order to solve the problem. So yes, uh, the emphasis obviously is becoming less and less just because there's more knowledge that we wanna make sure that the students um, um, come, come uh, when they graduate, have when they graduate, but absolutely, I agree with you. You, um, I want to talk, and this is just, I don't know if you can, if this is even a question that can be answered, but um, I think we, as an industry and in education and all that, I think we need to send lighting back to the physics and biology departments for a little bit. Um, because I find there's a lot of companies and engineers that are prescribing, it, it's not an engineering issue, all the circadian effects and the... Um, you know, the various uh, um, integrative lighting or health effects or human-centric things. I don't think we understand enough about what light does yet to really... There's there's some things we can do for sure, but I want to be cautious um, when speaking to people about this because I, I feel like we're on the threshold of the learning. We're not on the threshold of the deploying. Do you guys... Um, it, uh, do you know... Are you aware of it? Is there one at Colorado... Or, did the physics and biology department, did they study the health effects of lighting? Did they study what light is and how it, how it's, what it does for the universe and so on and so forth? Is there any, is there much of that going on? Uh, in, in, uh, we have in our, um, psychology department, actually, mm -hmm. uh, a, um, a professor and his name escapes me right now. But um, he has been putting uh, output out there regarding light and health uh, mm -hmm. and in terms of how that affects uh, physiology and psychology. Mm -hmm. I'm not aware of anybody in biology necessarily. Physics, I know that they are focused more, more on, on LEDs and the technology itself mm -hmm. more than how that technology affects people. Mm -hmm. So so those two tracks are one is really focusing on the technology and, and what's behind the technology, if you will, in order to make strides uh, to create the the newest LED with a different color, right? That is mm -hmm. native to to a color other than the ones that we have, for example. Um, and then we have uh, the psychology department. Uh, one of the courses 
out of the seven that we offer is in the psychology department, hmm. right? So we don't rely, we don't offer, uh, we, we, don't kid ourselves that um, just the, the we, we have two instructors and we rely a lot heavily on our alumni and, um, and professionals to help us um, round our knowledge. But we also don't kid ourselves that we know everything, right? <laughs> so two of those uh, courses, one is through the psychology department where they take a course in lighting perception, the perception of light. Mm -hmm. Um, and then the second course is through the theater department, mm -hmm. and that is to for the students to be able to really bring uh, wake their imaginations from moving their engineering side mm -hmm. to the uh, to the other side of the brain, really really bringing the artistic side. So so I I, I guess where you're getting is is whether there's a multidisciplinary uh, approach to our education, and the answer is yes. Uh, to what degree are we churning students um, to the absolutely latest level of knowledge? I don't think we're there, just as like the industry is not there, mm -hmm. right? And the idea is uh, for for education in general, I think is very difficult for us to under to teach and understand what to teach in a moment of transition. Mm -hmm. What do you teach to students? who in two years mm -hmm. are going to graduate while the technology is exponentially changing or where mm -hmm. controls are changing or where uh, light and health and knowledge is changing, that it would be true two years later down the road, right? Mm -hmm. So our approach is, is always, let's stay with the fundamentals because mm -hmm. if you understand the underlining of things, then you can at least question what does not make sense to you. And that is with technology, that would be with light and health and in any other topic. The, um, yeah, the, um, well, just lost my train of thought there for a second. Oh, but the, when you're, one of the places that you can learn a lot about lighting, and this is interesting, is on the actual order desk of a nail distributor, Greg. You know, when you're seeing oh, sure. the products, like you're handling the products, mm -hmm. yeah. it's actually, it's very, you don't even realize that you're learning. But when people, part of the training at my company is people kind of work all the jobs. They work the counter. They hold the light fixtures. They see the light bulb, the tubes. We put them in and you watch the technology sort of evolve in front of your, in front of your, uh, your very eyes as because it, it's happening so fast. Um, yeah. Do you guys get into a lot of products? Do you talk about this is a recessed luminaire this is a two by four troffer do you get into yes. a lot of that stuff oh, we do because we have since since we teach uh for um many of us student or our students are getting into um uh, lighting design lighting specification they need to know that vocabulary right and so that is also part of the foundational course where we're talking about when we're talking about technologies, we're talking about lamps, we're talking about uh, drivers, uh, ballasts, uh, transformers, and then we're talking about the different types of luminaires that exist, right? And it's just so interesting how how do you start talking and creating a vocabulary of form factors that with LEDs, 
right? Because LEDs now are not coming necessarily only on a two by four form factor or just a downline. Now you have curves and you have lines and you have all kinds of abstract shapes. And the question is, how do you how do you start talking about those things? And and so yes, we see those tech, that that type of conversation in several courses as the students keep progressing in their knowledge. I see, Jerry, I'm just going to jump in here because I remember what my train of thought was. Um, do you, I see like this theatrical lighting and general lighting used to be two completely different worlds. Like there, there was very little crossover. When I talk to lighting designers now, they almost sound like theatrical lighting designers when they're talking about these, like you, you're experiencing museums and there's like a, there's like a melding or a, um, something happening between the, 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 what we know from theatrical, the contrast ratios that theatrical lighting uses mm -hmm. to create, you know, dark crowds in a bright stage. And the person on stage can't even see the crowd. The contrast ratio is so high, but you can see everything so beautifully. These, these, um, these principles are starting to creep into the general lighting industry. Um, I've heard lighting designers speak as if they're theatrical they're making a theatrical move in this this place. Are you experiencing that? And is your education sort of moving towards that a little bit of combining those things together? We are, and that's exactly why we want the students to have the theater experience for those who really want to go into um, lighting design as their focus, right? Not necessarily uh, lighting application as an, as an architectural engineer. So there's companies that are architectural engineer firms that straddle lighting and electrical, but there's very, it's very practical, right? A stadium or, or you know, a hospital and so forth. And then, then you have your lighting design firms that you describe, which is, is all about the budget is there, the theatrics are needed because the budget is there. Um, and so, um, so we, we do, we try to, to instill this, um, but not at the cost of the fundamentals, not at the cost of the fundamentals. Uh, one of the things that in my experience, uh, in my years in lighting, I noticed that um, the theater um, people that transition to lighting architectural lighting were the ones that were doing the theatrical things and it was kind of exclusive to them that, you know, the Howard Branstons of the world. And um, we, we still have several, several uh, lighting designers that uh, came from theater. And we were always at awe at how easy it was for them to come up with these contrasts and, and not being afraid of using color. The trend that I see is that now on this other side, the lighting designers are crossing to theater Right, and they're the ones that are really trying to understand. Well, what does it mean to create emotion in a box? Right, you you only have so much space, and you have so much technology, and yet the person seeing is able to feel that emotion. So yes, I'm seeing the crossover to the other side. What I'm afraid is that because we get so uh, excited about color and about the fact that LEDs, we can tuck them in and this and that, that we focus on that and we don't step back and say, well, what does that mean to the eye? What does that mean to my comfort? What does that mean to longevity of equipment and sustainability? And so we're always bringing students back to say, when you're in the field, you will be able to do your best job ever with color and everything, but for now, make sure that you understand 
why and how this works so that you can question, 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 question what you're being told. Yeah, and I think that's more important than ever with all that's new in, in the LED world, especially. Um, and kind of on that subject, to some degree with your classes, I assume there's some hands-on training knowledge with products. Do you guys have a partnership with a manufacturer that helps support this, or do you have to pick and choose, or how do you guys work that out? So we actually don't have a particular manufacturer um, that that we work with. We actually work with our local reps. So we have had our local reps, we have five here in Denver that I'm aware of lately, um, where on a whim, we can go ahead and say, we're going to do a little exercise outdoors. Would you be able to provide luminaires for our exercise in such a way that we can shine things at the wall and the trees and so forth, right? Um, we get donations from, from um manufacturers, as a matter of fact, and we haven't spoken about our certificate, which is different from the RMLA, our, our lighting certificate. We just graduated six professional um, lighting, uh, lighting professionals from our certificate. And when they were here um, on campus, they were like, we're going to donate some equipment from you, uh, for you, right? And so, um, so sometimes it's just luck of, luck of the draw. And sometimes is really very specific because we need something uh, to accomplish uh, something uh, for a class, and then we rely sure. on our reps. Good. So you have the the seven courses for the undergraduate. You have the uh, Rocky Mountain Lighting Academy, which is a four day session. Are are you still running those right now, or is that something that's been on hold for now? We we two years unfortunately because of COVID and the uncertainty we we uh, didn't offer but we're going to offer that in 2022 so next summer we will be offering the RMLA um, and I should distinguish RMLA is basically uh, our professional uh, umbrella if you will just as the lighting program has the umbrella for undergrads and grads so under the umbrella of the Rocky Mountain Lighting Academy we have the two summer courses that are intensive and then we created our lighting certificate which is three courses uh, over the course of roughly nine months um, where where lighting professionals can actually come and learn at a slower pace uh, and, and actually earn credit. So the RMLA that the four-day course is not for credit is a deep dive but um, you receive a certificate of completion. This other one, you actually get um, nine credits of, of um, university, um, yeah, university credits that and are it's something where you, the university. You actually need to be there in person physically or it's a combination of online? So our, our philosophy is always that you learn by seeing and touching. And so the way we, so um, RMLA, we bring you for the four days. For the nine months, we are aware that people over the world and the country want education. And so uh, with technology now, uh, and because of COVID, it was a, a perfect opportunity for us to test our, uh, and we did our pilot. Um, so out of the three courses, two are online. And so we start the fall we move to the spring and then in the summer, we're like, you cannot graduate until you have come for one week, intensive one week to us 
you're in the lighting lab, you're measuring, we're you know, doing mock-ups, we're doing whatever we need to do in order to really round your education, and then the certificate is over. And how often with all of these courses, I know this is a big question and kind of generalized, but are you changing content? Is it every year you need to go into each course and look and reevaluate? Or is there, I know you talked fundamentals and I assume a lot of that can stay, but with the changes that happen, how do you adapt to that? So specifically, let's talk about the certificate. The certificate, uh, the first course is all about the fundamentals. Let's level everybody because we're not saying, all we're asking for the certificate is a bachelor's degree. Uh, and, and it could be in anything. The assumption is that you're either coming to the lighting industry, you have been in the lighting industry and, and you don't have a document that says that you know what you know, right? And so, and we're gonna level you on the first, uh, the first, uh, course. Um, some students say, this is enough for me. This is all I needed to know. And they can actually just leave and not complete the certificate. And we're fine with that, right? Because I think that now we've accomplished something important. The second course is all about uh, what is happening now in order for you to be productive in your work. So that's the course that is going to be constantly changing depending on what is the latest thing happening. Um, and so right now there's a module, we divide the semester in modules. There's a module on, on um, light and health. There's a module on daylighting, a module on controls. And I'm forgetting the fourth module, right? And 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 we really go do a deep dive on those, and and we we uh, anticipate that that's the course that is going to be um, revamp um, pretty often. Is the same with the RMLA. Yeah. And are you finding that a lot of the students that come and take any of these courses, aside from the undergraduate? Um, are an individual choice or are they corporate initiatives where a company says, hey, if you're going to work for us, we're going to send you through the academy? Um, a, lot, a lot of our students are coming through sponsorship from their companies. Um, okay. Yes. And uh, we find that a few, let's, if, if, if we put percentage, maybe it's an 80-20, what 80% 80 are coming from companies and 20% are their own choice because they feel that they need to educate themselves. It's a heavy lift, obviously, like what, what, with any, any education program, in particular, if you're going to spend nine months uh, with, with us, it's going to be costly. Um, but it's not as costly as you coming in person and receiving education at, in, in person, right? So, so we've, hmm. I think it, it, the pricing is reasonable for what you get. And, and, and are you and finding, yeah. And I was just gonna say, and that is why we're not forcing students to buy in into the certificate uh, because that, that's a heavy commitment, right? So we are saying, you know, if you find the first course valuable, register for the second. You know, and I think once you're in the second, you may as well finish the third one, right? So our expectation and how we pre we presented this to the university as a certificate is that we say we anticipate that the first course is going to have a lot of people. And then for the rest of the certificate, maybe we go to two thirds of, of, of the people and we're totally fine with that because that is the level. The level of commitment to this program is what we want. We want you to want to be there. 
And are you finding that a majority of the students that come come or go through the courses are lighting designers, or are you getting other types of lighting careers? We're getting uh, from from all the, the gamut. We're getting manufacturers, sales representatives, lighting designers, um, engineers, all kinds of, of people, which is why it's important to use that leveling course to make sure that everybody's on the same page. So many people don't know how many different kinds of careers are available to them in the lighting industry. And if your yes. students are listening to this, there's tons of different kinds of careers. It's a very dynamic and exciting industry. Most of the people we talk to back into it by accident. They end up in the lighting yes. industry like, oh, I didn't realize how, how, how diverse um, uh, and um, uh, I was going to say perverse, but per, um, <laughs> pervasive is the word. Pervasive. <laughs> pervasive that, that lighting actually is. I mean, it goes beyond plumbing or anything else. Like lighting is has so many different careers available to it. Um, let me ask you a little bit about lighting controls, Bluetooth, uh, digital addressable, this kind of stuff. Do you guys talk a lot about that? And how do you keep up to date? So we currently have my, my colleague, Jennifer Scheib. Um, she came from NREL. Um, the National uh, Research Laboratory here in Golden. And um, she created uh, a course called Adapted Lighting. Um, and it's all about controls. That's all, the whole course is about controls. And so again, the idea, and, and this is at the undergraduate, graduate level. Um, and so the idea, and going back to the question about technology, here is where we heavily uh, approached companies to say, we need to show the students what does that this means. We cannot show mm -hmm. them a graph about dimming, right? And we cannot show them a graph about pulse with modulation and all of these things. We The students need to actually use and mix, and we have a DMX machine and, uh, for color, um, and by machine, I mean a console, um, and so forth, right? So so probably that that class is the 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 one that is the most equipped uh, for students to be able to practice. And, and Jennifer uh, obviously is keeping up with, with the times within reason, right? Because we can't react as quickly um, to what's happened to the minute. Sometimes we have to wait a, a year for the class to repeat in order for us to catch the latest thing. But by then, some of the problems or issues have been ironed up, uh, which is helpful for us, right? So trying to teach the very, very latest is, is uh, fool's errands in our uh, line of work because, um, yeah, I, I remember I've, I met a student in a conference, a graduate student, and um, he came to me and he said, what you taught me about circadian rhythm, circadian rhythms was wrong. And that was, you know, five years uh, before the time. And I'm like, it was probably not wrong. It was just, it, it's just evolved, mm -hmm. right? And so in a way we need to use a little cautious, uh, be, be cautious uh, in, in terms of just jumping in the wagon. And so what we do is we make the students aware of what's going on for sure. But in some cases, it's, it's not feasible for us to just dive uh, um, deep into some things until the technology has been proven. One of the benefits of, um, ex I don't know if it's a benefit, technology is accelerating so quickly now that it doesn't seem like the academy can set down roots on anything. And I think that's good because we're seeing like um, when you look across 
you know, an, an educational institution, you're starting to see the collapse of long taught narratives in certain disciplines, right? Like uh, Clovis first in North America, how people came to you're, that. There's a lot of pressure on that theory and it's collapsing, right? But that was taught so strictly that this is how it happened and this is what happened and this is how it is. And there's something blinding and, and innovation crushing about that way of teaching something to people that we know for sure that they came this way and this is the plan and we're not listening to any information outside of that. another one is Egyptology is another example of where the narrative that's been taught for a hundred years is, is, is collapsing. And so we have to be careful when we're teaching about things like circadian rhythm, which is really emerging um, as one, one I, I do another podcast called starving for darkness the purpose of it is to, for the preservation and restoration of natural darkness. And we were speaking to, um, I don't know if you doc, know Dr. Fisher from the Zoological Lighting Institute. He's an interesting guy, perhaps for you guys, wildlife and lighting and how oh, to design. Yep. Yeah, very, very interesting, actually. Mm -hmm. Guy to talk to. It might be worthwhile to, for, you know, maybe to have a conversation to see if there's some connections there because they do some education as well. Um, but one of the things he said, which is really interesting, is that we think about, light and dark in a binary way and it's not appropriate you know like you know now it's light and now it's dark it's really better thought of as like it like we think of it like cold and hot when really it's better thought of as like a temperature darkness is a certain amount of light there's a certain amount yeah. of light in darkness and so we move forward from there and now we have you know maybe zero is 50 foot candles or one for 50 lux or something like that and then you have negative 50 or there's a better way to think about it do you guys teach darkness and is darkness preservation on the curriculum and res restoration on the curriculum at all? That I talk a lot about darkness in my advanced lighting design class. And the reason I do that is because with so many courses about light, the students get the impression that all solutions require light. Mm -hmm. And if they're going to do lighting design, I am I'm trying to emphasize that there is a place in time where we don't want to use light. Mm -hmm. There's a place in time where contrast and, and um, shadows mm -hmm. are important in order to create a mood or, or just, just to embellish and, and just create a... Uh, visually enhanced uh, environment mm. and so we uh, we use as our guide uh, in place of shadows you know that's one of the books that that we use and we start picking apart uh, that and what does it mean in the practice of lighting what does it mm. mean being restrained in terms of of lighting um, and so uh, heavily heavily in 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 that area uh, with regard to restoring uh, darkness for sustainability um, that probably is a conversation that happens in in the controls class mm -hmm. right in, in any level of depth uh, but we certainly as a foundational class we do talk about when we introduce controls why are we doing this we're not just controlling to make sure that we have a nice instead of a switch we have a nice dimmer we are there's reason why several reasons why you want to to do uh, controls and part of that is the beauty of darkness mm -hmm. right and also the integration of daylighting 
-hmm. daylighting into a space that's another course that we offer right and, and the availability of daylighting and in in the, the passage of clouds that creates this different effect in a space mm -hmm. yeah that changing of light like the idea of a steady absolutely. constant same light all the time is not natural um it, it, absolutely whether we can recreate that electrically or not is another question you know if they, and if that'll be effective or not is another question but certainly i have um i'm a big believer in sun tunnels and windows mm -hmm. so i have a house full of sun tunnels there's nothing more fascinating than being at your desk and the clouds go over and the lights changing yes. but it's it but the, it's still very bright and you have these different you wake up in the morning and it, there's this beautiful like yeah orange low very color it's not orange is the wrong word to describe it it's a beautiful color of the, of the rising sun and the setting yeah. sun and you get these differences and there's something psychologically in, um, impactful about that there's something going on there that we don't fully understand um, yes. I think humans have a relationship to fire uh, a lot of times I think heat needs to be thought of in as light you know the the it is really the same thing it's the waves right hitting yeah. you in some way and so so we yeah. separate heat and light and so they're different systems in a home and and that's not how we've evolved we get heat from the sun we had heat from fires and saunas and all this kind of stuff so there's ways of thinking about light differently i want to urge you to consider teaching darkness because mm -hmm. The purpose of Starving for Darkness is, is that we want to advocate for the restoration and preservation of darkness. We know we have 150 cities in the United States now that have achieved dark sky recognition by the International mm -hmm. Dark Sky Association. Um, the Economist had an article uh, just this week about, um, about dark sky cities, but they're, they're, people are stumbling around this. They haven't accepted that darkness is not something we want to vanquish. It's, yeah. it, it's actually... The, a true sign of an intelligent society, in my belief, um, would be one that is dark at night. Yeah. The other way around. You understand? Like it, that, a, a society that restored darkness when the sun set as much as possible. As much as be, possible, yeah. As much as possible while maintaining safety and these other things would be considered in my mind to be the most intelligent of all societies. Yeah. Um, they would be preserving wildlife. They would be helping people circadian rhythms. And so we're always, and in, in the lighting industry, Greg, there's no, mi there's no max light levels, bud. There's never a max, right. you know, and this is very problematic because it's a paradox, right? The cheaper LEDs become, the more light we use. Yes. Yes. You know? That, that is problematic. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. And so it, and that's, and that goes back and, and thank you for encouraging me about thinking just of dark is not, not just as the counterpart to light, but actually as a, uh, in its own right, darkness in its own right. I think that's, that's what you're saying. Uh, but I think that that is the problem that we're facing right now and that I encounter when I'm driving around is glare bombs everywhere. Why? Because we can and the idea of educating people about the fact that the visual system has not changed just because LEDs have come into the uh, equation. The, the visual system, we know how it works and we understand that if you put a lot of light, first, you're wasting energy. Second, you're not being uh, a good engineer in the case of our students. And third, uh, you're causing problems. Right. So understanding more than really harping on, on LEDs, LEDs or, or technology is to say, be careful with what you do. 
right? Be careful of what you have as a resource in order to be a good steward of your knowledge. We're advocating for light pollution to be on par with plastics in the ocean and global mm -hmm. warming. Uh, we, uh, you know, if it's not, I mean, I'll accept, I'm obviously not a scientist, but I'll accept someone to say, no, it's not as serious, but it certainly is a symbol of all of our excesses, you know, yes. um, the, you know, in, in many ways, uh, much of what we've done with LED lights actually reduces visual acuity. This is proven. Mm -hmm. And many of the decisions made are not evidence-based, um, you know, when it comes to outdoor street lighting and crosswalks and stuff like this, there are people that, you know, have come forward and said, hey, you know what, these crosswalks, even though they're brighter, are the, 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 the person crossing is lost in brightness because of the flicker of the headlights of a car combining with the flicker of the headlights of the lighting of the crosswalk is making these saccades or whatever. And so we're kind of um, operating on assumptions that more light is better, whiter light is better, and um, put as much of it as you can, and, you know, that's great, and everything's good. Those assumptions are kind of like Egyptology and Clovis first are coming crashing down um, as, we, as the technology emerges. And I, I really, a lot of people are, that's creative destruction in the academy. It's good. You know what I'm saying? Like you talk about creative destruction in business all the time, but the academy needs to be shaken up a little bit too sometimes. And the, the speed at which lighting sciences are developing is, you know, like your student said, you're wrong about circadian, Sandra. <laughs> you know, um, <laughs> you, know you, you weren't wrong. You just didn't have all the information yet. And I think we need, to, we need to teach that way with a, with a sense of humility that, you know, hey, this science of lighting is actually, we don't even know what light is. You know, we don't actually know what it is. To me, let me throw this one at you. I think light is meta information, like a form of information. I think it's best thought of as meta information. It tells plants to grow. It tells the earth to revolve around the sun. I mean, it's doing all manner of things that, you know, gravity and the, the but light is, is sending messages to animals to go to sleep, to wake up, to feed, birds to migrate. They look at the stars, whales look at the stars. They're sensing the stars. Like there's information in light that we've never thought of it like that before. Never thought of it as a type of information. Where's the Rosetta Stone? How can we figure out what this information is saying? You know, that would be, I don't even know what part that would belong in, Sandra. <laughs> you know, where decoding what that light means is, um, is fascinating to me. And what the darkness, what the levels of light mean and what they do to us. So um, lighting education is such a dynamic space. Greg, do you have any other, any other final thoughts for Sandra here? We're coming up on 40, we're past 45 minutes. Yeah, no, I don't think so. I think that's just something that I've always been interested. I've always heard about, but I never really got the background on. So I appreciate you sharing that with us. Yeah. And I thank you for, for the time for me to explain what we're offering and, <laughs> and what, what we do at the University of Colorado and um, hearing you speak about all of these other topics, uh, it, it's just so interesting to hear perspectives, different perspectives mm -hmm. in terms of what people need to know. And then the question for us is how much of that we can transmit. Sometimes it's just a matter of transmitting curiosity, 
right? Yes. It's one of those where you're saying, okay, you just mentioned the word meta metadata in, in light. Well, now I'm curious about that. I want to see if mm -hmm. I can explore that. It's not possible for any lighting program or any educational setting to provide all the information mm -hmm. Uh, that exist. And so part of this education is to create the environment for curiosity to happen and to ask the questions, the hows and the whys, mm -hmm. uh, so that they can actually move forward and think before they actually apply this powerful tool. It's that's why I, tool that we have at our disposal. For sure. And that's why I think it's so important that like a lot of these kinds of conversations are the things that you get from going to a school and being around people studying that's the that's the soft part of it right where you're you're you're, you're learning about lighting and you're talking about lighting with professors and other people that are interested in lighting and it's like that's why you can't do it all online that's why you have to come to to, to right. boulder and you got to spend a week here because you got to be in the lab and then you got to meet this person and then you talk about this and it it fires up that curiosity it gets you in collegial with other people and talking about a a subject you're focused you're finally focused on something and then you know i always compare it like the most beautiful poetry has the most amount of rules but it doesn't sound like it when you read it right if you That's read right. it if you read it if you read a sonnet you know it doesn't sound like there's any rules but it's written in an and by iambic pentameter and all this you know it has this many syllables and it's 14 lines and all this sort of stuff and it rhymes like this and the most the, the, the freest beautiful poetry is written with the most rules and so you, you focus yourself at an academy at a school you're learning about lighting you're not online you're with other people all these other little seeds get planted sandra and then you you start to develop a career but those seeds are still there and you're thinking about them and you move forward in a career and, and part of its curiosity and interest and other parts of it is making money and some of it's your palette of art if you're a lighting designer and that's why I just love the industry and I'm so happy I didn't even realize it was supposed to be about you know Boulder Colorado the University of is it the University of Colorado I thought we were just going to talk about the lighting education so I'm glad it worked out for you <laughs> Here we are. Yeah. Wow. I'm representing. Yep. Yeah. No, that was great. Um, yeah, I was wanted to talk to you a little bit about museum design, but maybe we can next time. We're coming up on the hour here. We don't want sure. to go too long. Folks, if you made it to the end, um, there's a lot of po uh, all of the social media for and the website for colorado.edu will be on the website, Greg. But we got to get focused right now real quick. We got to go to energyfocus.com, man. That's E-N-E-R-G-Y-F-O-C-U-S. Dot com, their in-focus system. That's right, in-focus tubes, LED tubes that can retrofit your existing linear fluorescent fixtures, bypass valves, put the tubes in, change the switch on the wall, gives you color tuning, dimming, no flicker, lowest cost option out there for human-centric lighting today. Folks, I've said it many times, I'll say it again. The tuning ability of the switch on the wall from in-focus in 2021 is exactly like the Lutron dimmer of 1969. When people see it so easy to use, you give them an option. That's the first step. We're going to take these people on the first step. Trust me. Trust Greg. We sell millions of dollars of lighting personally every single year. We know what the customer wants to buy. And the customer is going to start off with, before their circadian and their, oh, yeah, we're going to do lower sick days and all that, give them a choice on tuning. That's the gateway drug. 
the circadian lighting systems. <laughs> Let them start seeing that they can change the colors of the light to whatever it is they want. Then we'll start prescribing them all kinds of systems. So go to energyfocus.com. That's E-N-E-R-G-Y-F-O-C-U-S.com. Of course, Greg, proud members of the National Association of Innovative Lighting Distributors. Whew, running out of breath here. And, of course, the LC exam from the NCQLP is coming up uh, in November, Greg. You're Check an LC. Out. I'm not. I don't like to test. Sorry. Too late for me. <laughs> Too late. Thanks for listening, folks. I know I speak on behalf of Sandra and Greg here at the end, and uh, we always appreciate you. We love you. We love you, all your listeners out there. Bye for now.